Welcome to the Christian Worship Center podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you. Visit us online at www.cwcsj.org for service times and directions. Would you stand with me as we turn our Bibles to the book of Luke? And as you're going to Luke chapter, Luke chapter 9, or actually 19, I want to kind of set this story up for you in Luke 19. The Bible says that Jesus is coming through a town, and while Jesus is coming through this town, a certain tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming, and because of Zacchaeus' short stature, he, has to, he can't see through the crowd. And so what he decides to do is climb up a tree. The Bible says a sycamore tree. He climbs up a tree in order to get a better vantage point of where Jesus is. And as he sees Jesus coming afar off, uh, Jesus is walking by. He sees Zacchaeus in the tree and he tells him, come down. In fact, as a little kid in church, there was a song that they used to sing about Zacchaeus being in the tree. Uh, well, was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Uh, he climbed up in the sycamore tree. You want to come up and sing the song? <laughs> so there was a song that I remember that. I remember that. And so Zacchaeus is in this tree. Jesus comes by, sees him, calls him down and says, I'm going to your house today. I'm going to have dinner with you. And so this, this man that didn't think he did have any connection with Jesus, barely get a glimpse of him, doesn't realize that God has already had a divine appointment for him. That God had already determined, I'm going to have dinner at your house. It's written in the annals of heaven. You're trying to just get a glimpse of me. I'm going to hang out with you. You see, the Bible says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw nigh to you. And so all we have to, all we have to do is take a step. If we just seek after God, God will find us. He gets to Zacchaeus' home, and the Jews are upset that Jesus is eating with him. Explain that in a moment. But while he's eating with them, Zacchaeus looks at Jesus and says this. He doesn't say a sinner's prayer. He doesn't say any prayer. He doesn't make any confession. All he does is say this. He goes, Jesus, I'm going to give back everything I've stolen. I'm going to give back to everyone anything I've taken from them. And if someone proves that I've stolen from them, I'm going to pay them back four times what I took. Everyone say generosity. Generosity. This is where we pick it up, where Jesus then says this. Take a look at this. Luke chapter 19, starting verse 8, he says, Zacchaeus just stood there a little stunned. And he stammered apologetically, Master, I give away half my income to the poor. And if I'm caught cheating, I will pay four times the damages. Someone say four times. times. Jesus said, today's salvation is in this home. Here he is, Zacchaeus, the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to find and restore the lost. Read that last part with me. For the son of man came to find and restore the lost. The lost. Pray with me now. Father, help in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. God bless you. As we shared that before we get into our Dominate series, we have to make sure that we're starting on the same page. That you know what Christian Worship Center is all about. So let's review our motto. Love God, love people, 
change the world. Say it again. Love God, love people, change the world. It all starts with the love for God. If we don't have a love for God, we're not going to know how to love people. And if we don't know how to love people, we'll never make any impact in the world. So it all starts with the love for God because the love of God, agape love, is the only love that restores broken relationship. It wipes out offense. Only agape can do that. And that's a divine love that only God has. The second thing that I want to share with you is our purpose. Our purpose is to bring you into your purpose. Amen? Our purpose is to help you find your purpose and then help you bring you into a growing relationship with Christ. And so if you have a a bulletin, in your bulletin it has our our notes of what we're going over this morning. If you'd like to follow along, you're more than uh, welcome to do so. Or flag down an usher and they can get you one. But I want you to recognize that's our purpose. Our purpose is to help you find your purpose. And it's not enough to live a long life. It's not enough to have a career. To work a job, get a house with a picket fence, have a dog, have two kids or 2.5 kids as most Americans have. It's not enough to have that and then have a retirement. It's not enough to live and not make a difference. It's not enough to have a long life but not have made a difference. I don't know about you, but when I lay on my deathbed, I want to know that I've died empty. I want to know that I've given everything that I have to Christian Worship Center. I want to know that I gave all I could to my community. When my time comes, I want to know that I have added value to someone's life. When my time on this earth is over, like like the Apostle Paul, I want to say, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've finished the course. I need you to understand something this morning. I don't want to just go through this life. I want my life to count. I want to make a difference. I hope that's your prayer as well. It's not enough just to have a great job or a career or make money. It's all about making a difference in someone's life. God placed you here to make a difference. You're here because you can make a difference. And so this morning we we shared about the cultures of Christian Worship Center. We We have six cultures here at Christian Worship Center. That define who we are. Last week, a couple weeks ago, we shared the first one. First one was passion. A culture of passion. What's a culture, first of all? A culture is a way of life. You can't change a way of life until you change a way of thinking. When we talk about culture, cultures are always based on this. There's a Hispanic culture. Whether you're Mexican, whether you're from El Salvador, there are cultures for the Hispanic people. There's a culture for the African American as well. There's a certain lifestyle, certain things we eat, certain ways we act, certain things we do. For the Tongans and the Samoans and the Polynesians, every, every culture has its own way of doing things, and that's a way of living. When we say culture, there's a way of living. And so I, I have a friend, and I shared this a bit last Sunday, but I didn't finish the thought. Um, my friend from, from the Minnesota Vikings, Kevin Warren, he's the vice president of legal operations and uh, just an amazing man. He's an African-American individual. I went to his mother's funeral uh, in, in Phoenix. His mom passed away. He comes from what's a trip. You look at him, you would think he's just straight African-American, but you don't realize that his grandmother was a little Mexican lady from Guadalajara, Mexico. And she used to clean people's homes. And he would go with her to clean their homes. And so he was born, you, you got you to figure, you got an African-American 
husband married to a Mexican wife. In those days, that wasn't really accepted. This was real, way, way back. This is his grandmother. But they, the, the, even though her job was cleaning homes, they had this culture of excellence in the family. When I shared last week, when I went to his, his, his uh, mother's funeral, his mother was an educator. His mother had all these kids in the family stop going to school, go, went back to school to earn her M.A., when he's introducing me to family members, he's introducing me to, oh, this is my brother, uh, so-and-so, he's a lawyer over here. This is my uh, niece, this is, uh, she's a lawyer over here. This is my nephew, he's a lawyer over here. This is so-and-so, he's studying to be a lawyer. And they're introducing me to all these individuals, and every, it felt like, and I'm telling you, it felt like I was in a Tyler Perry movie. And what, I, I, what I mean that, I mean that in a good way. I don't mean that Medea was there. Okay? Have you noticed something about Tyler Perry movies? Tyler Perry, every movie he makes, the African-Americans in his movies, every single one of them is rich and they're a professional. Have you noticed that? They're, they're all, they're, there's, there's an influencer in every group. Every part he plays, he's driving a nice car, he has a great job or a career. This brother, he, he's loaded. Because there's a culture that he expects and he's changing the culture, changing the way they think in order to be able to have, to see that this is the new standard like Dr. Huxtable did back in the day. Remember the, uh, the Cosby show? See, you can't change a culture until you change their thinking. And what I love about the Warren family, when I see, when I'm around them, I see this culture of excellence that they've developed. He expects his kids to succeed. There's not a hope. There's not a wish. They're not crossing their fingers and, and crossing their arms. They're not hoping, oh, please, that they would be successful. They are expected to succeed. They're expected to go to college. They're expected to seek certain employment. They're expected to reach certain levels. I need you to understand, our families will not change. Our community will not change until you and I start expecting and changing our thinking and expecting things to be different. But you can't change a culture until you change the thinking. Everything starts with our thinking. That's why when Jesus showed up, the first thing he said was repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, the way you thought before was okay, but now that I'm here, you got to change your thinking. Repent doesn't mean, doesn't mean to uh, feel sorry for your sins. Repent means to change your mind. And in changing your mind, you thus change your direction. So some of us are used to going to a, to, to a certain direction. We sin, we say, Father, forgive me. And then we keep on that same path. Father, forgive me. God doesn't want regret. He wants repentance. Dang, it's quiet in here. Let me say that again. God is not looking for your regret. He wants repentance. Repentance says, God, I'm sorry, and then we change directions and go the total opposite way. That's what God's looking for. So when we talk about the cultures of Christian Worship Center, what are we all about? Who are we all about? Check this out. Our first culture that we have here is a culture of passion. We want to be passionate about what God's passionate about. Somebody say amen. Amen. We want to be passionate about what God's passionate about. We want to love what God loves. We want to love who God loves, which means he loves everyone. Come on, somebody. See, if there's no love here, why are we gathering? The Bible says you shall know that they're my disciples by their love, not by their judgment, not by how high they jump, 
how, how, how loud they scream when they worship. It's all about their love. And somewhere along the way, have you noticed this? Religion has divided mankind to, to points where you recognize the number one threat we have in the world today is not different countries. It's different religions. We're not having different countries blowing up buildings. We have religious mindsets that are blowing up buildings. Because religion is the thing that divides. And yet Christianity is the only religion, and I use that term loosely, only religion where the God that we serve gave his life for his subjects. All other gods require something from the people. Only in Christianity did the deity do something for the people. Are you following me? That's the difference between Christianity and all these other religions. Because God loves you. Listen, I don't know what religion or background you're from as you walk in this morning, but I need you to understand God loves you. CWC needs to be, have a culture of passion, of love for God. Secondly, we got when we're out there, they have to know us by our love. That's why Light of Light Ministries, going out and doing the homeless, helping with the homeless people, what's going on with, the, with Bless the Block, all those things are designed to show the love of God to people. That's what we're, we have to be about. Secondly, we have to be about purpose, a culture of purpose. We have to be a place that, that promotes purpose, that we help you find your purpose, that we help you find out why you're on earth. It's not, not to find your career. To find your purpose because your career should promote your purpose. Come on, somebody. Your career should promote your purpose. And when all is said and done, you got to know that my life counted. You got to know that my life meant something. And that when Jesus got on the cross and he said, it is finished, he was saying, my assignment is done. My purpose is fulfilled. I accomplished why I came. And my prayer is that we can all, when that time comes, say, it is finished. I did everything you told me to do, God. I accomplished everything that you wanted me to do. And my prayer is that we would get busy with purpose. That this would be a place of purpose. We don't have activities for activity's sake alone. We have to have a purpose. Thirdly, this morning, this is what we get to, and we're going to be quick on this, so listen quickly. We need a culture of generosity. We need a culture of generosity. You know, the early church was a church that knew how to give, and I want you to notice something. At CWC, we believe that generosity ought to be a way of life for every individual that says that they're a Christ follower. And I want you to notice something. Take a look at Luke 9, 19, verse 8 through 10 again, as we... Take a look at this. Zacchaeus is standing there, and let me tell you why they hated tax collectors so much. The Jewish people were under dominion of the Roman Empire. And what Rome would do when they would take over a certain region, they would take people from within the community, people of means or people that knew the community, and they would make that individual a tax collector. So if they had taken over the Philippines, they would find a Filipino to collect taxes. If they had taken over Mexico, they would find a Mexican to take over taxes and collect. Why? Because they know their people. They know where they're at. They know they're familiar with the community. Now, follow me on this, okay? The Jews hated the tax collector because when I would find that, I need you to go collect taxes. So, come here. You're going to work for me. You're going to collect taxes from people. 
And I want you to go through everyone in this place, and I want you to collect 5% from everyone. You give me 5%. It was like a modern-day mafia. Okay? Just like a, a, a American government. You know, they collect taxes, and when they collect taxes for the roads, for, for protection, for the military, and all these other things, we give taxes. That's what his job was to do. You didn't send it into the, the controller's office, or they didn't take it out of your check. They had someone go collect it from you. But what made him a thief is that this sucker wouldn't just take the 4 or 5%. He would take 10 Dirty dog. <laughs> he would take 10, or he would take 12, or he would take 8. And what he would do is he would add his fee on top of it. And the Jews hated him because he was one of them. And he was being used by the ones that are dominating them, not only to take taxes, but then to steal from them. They didn't have a problem with the tax. They had a problem with the fact that he was getting rich off of them. And so he would go and he would take more. He would pocket his fee. And then he would give the Romans the other money. And so he's living in luxury while everyone else is in poverty. That's why they didn't like Zacchaeus. I want you to notice what happens, though. He's standing there in the presence of Jesus. Listen, no prayer. Doesn't say a prayer. Doesn't say, Lord, forgive me. He says this right here. He goes, Master, I give away half of my income to the poor. Check that out. I give away half my income to the poor. Obviously, this guy must be living large if he could still live, give away half his income, and still be able to survive. Are you following me? Okay. Then he says this, and if I've caught cheating, I'll pay four times. Four times what I took. And so there's people in the community like, dude, you, you, I'm, pay up. Notice what Jesus says. Thank you. Notice what Jesus says. Today... Salvation has come to this home. What? He doesn't say no prayer right there. He doesn't, that's a double negative. He didn't say any prayer right there. He didn't do, he, he didn't, you don't see him falling on his face. You don't see him worshiping. All he says is, I give half my income to the poor. And if I cheat anyone, I'm going to give them four times what I, what, what I took from them as well. Jesus says salvation has come to this home. I want you to notice something about generosity. That generosity is a sign of salvation. Let's get spiritual right now, folks. Generosity is a sign of salvation. Not only is gener- generosity a way of living, it's a sign of life. Generosity is a sign that Christ is in your life. Let, 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 me, let me get personal. It, it, it got personal this morning. All right? And I'm going to get a little personal this morning. Because we need a culture of generosity here at CWC. We have to be generous. We have to be different than the rest of the community. We have to. I think there's some people in the world that are more generous than Christians are. And yet we have faith. Check this out. Generosity. Jesus connected generosity and salvation. And listen to me. 
Jesus wasn't saying that you're saved by your giving, but that giving is a sign that you're saved. Say it again, Pastor. I think I will. Listen to me. I need you to, because you didn't catch it the first time. You don't give a good, a good response. I'll just keep on repeating it over and over until you get it. Okay? Listen, we can't change our culture until we change our thinking. And so I got to get this into you. You got to recognize that generosity must be part of our lives, that generosity is who we are. And so I need you to recognize as we talk about generosity, Jesus was saying we're not saved by our generosity, but generosity is, it's it's evidence. If we were in court, it would be evidence against you as your belief in God and a relationship with God generosity, Jesus, notice, he says, salvation has come to this home. I didn't say any prayer. I didn't, I, I didn't speak in tongues. I didn't get slain in the spirit. I didn't fall out. I didn't, I didn't, I'm not levitating in the air. There was no physical healing that was manifested, but salvation came. How do I know salvation's there? Because generosity is here now. I'm giving away half of what I have to the poor. The generosity of Zacchaeus was proof, listen to me, that he had an encounter with God. If you're not a giver, this is where it's going to get personal. If you're not a giver, I question your encounter with God. If you are not a giver and generosity is not part of your Christian walk... You know, what's so, so, so amazing is that we can believe God for heaven. We can believe God that someday... Now, check this out. Look, look, at, look at how we look as Christians. We believe that some man years ago came down, born of a virgin, baby came down, born, had no relations, baby came, grew up, was the son of God, all of us walked on water, healed people, died on a cross, rose again three days later levitated up into the sky, said, I'm coming back for you someday. And that if we say a prayer, we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that we're saved. And we be- that he's out right now preparing a place called heaven. How many days did it take to build earth? How many? Six. He's been gone over 2,000 years building heaven. Imagine how heaven's going to look like. I go and prepare a place for you. I go and prepare a place for you. He's preparing it. When it's done, he's coming back. He's been preparing for 2,000 years, still working on it. Are are you following me? Come on. You got to capture this picture here. Still working on it. He's still developing it. He's not, he, he hasn't, he's not, we could believe, oh, I, I'll fly away, oh, when we all get to heaven, we could believe all that stuff. But the problem is our wallet never gets saved. I could believe God for all that other stuff. But you want me to give? I got PG&E, I got a mortgage. I'm trying to build my 401k. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to retire. You know what? You don't believe nothing. You haven't had an encounter with God. 
Why? Because if you have an encounter with God, Pastor, don't judge me. I can judge. I don't, I'm not, I don't, I, I have the ability to judge you based on what Jesus says that if you have an encounter with him, there's going to be generosity that's going to come as a result. Man, first service didn't even clap on that point. You guys are, you guys are much more spiritual. See, I need you to understand that God, generosity gets God's attention. When you give, God stops. It's like, wait a minute, what is that? How do I know that? Generosity moves the heart of God. Why? Because God is generous. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is a giver. So should we. You following me? Are you with me right now? Okay, how do I know that God values generosity? Take a look at this. Look at all these individuals in the word of God that that were blessed because they gave. Abel, in the book of Genesis, gives. God blesses him, gives his best. Little boy shares his lunch. 5,000 people are fed. A widow gives a sacrificial offering. People are walking by, dumping thousands of dollars into the, the church fund. And there's this little old lady that comes by and she puts two mites in the in the offering, which the Bible says doesn't even equal to a penny. And yet Jesus stops and says, this woman has given more than all of you. Because you gave out of your abundance. She gave out of her lack. You following me? You see, we we had that special offering. I want to say thank you to all of you that gave during that time. Just, I was just blown away. But you know what really moved my heart? Is that we had individuals that were selling things, holding garage sales to help Give that extra. They were, they were being, they, they were using creativity. They didn't have enough money to give. So now they start selling things. They're selling kids. They're putting their children out front. They're putting the toy. <laughs> they're selling things in order to help bring the offering to the house of God. Not only that, someone gave a $1,000 gift on that last, that last Sunday. Check this out. We had, we had several $1,000 gifts. Individuals that gave $1,000 gifts. And I was really blessed by the gifts that they gave. But there's one that caught my attention. One of those gifts was given by a family whose husband had just lost his job. I didn't know that. Found out that he had lost his job and we were collecting this and they, they gave. I, I went up to him and I was just talking to him this morning. They said, yeah, you know, we were, my husband was laid off at the time. He just found a job and so forth. And I was like, what? He goes, yeah, he, he had been off for about two months during that time that you said that and said, you guys still gave? So he come on, pastor, this is our family. She goes, you can't. Check. She goes, you can't, you can't outgive God. God we, we know God's going to take care of us. So we gave, and right after that, he found a job. Oh, come on, give God praise. It's called Generosity. And so I want you to notice this, that the woman pours expensive perfume. Jesus says what you did is going to be remembered throughout the annals of history. He connects revival to the early church. Early church was so generous in their giving as well. And the the, uh, Macedonian church was commended for the fact that they gave generously, that they gave unto the Lord for, for the poor as well. See, God blesses generosity. God doesn't bless stinginess. 
He blesses generosity. See, I need you to recognize, take a look at these scriptures right here. These are great scriptures. Proverbs 11.25, the generous will prosper. Proverbs 3.9, it says, give honor to the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your increase. Someone say all your increase. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats with overflowing with good wine. See, I need you to know, in those days, grain equaled money. Wine equaled blessing. And so I need you to recognize that when we give, God will increase to you. Check this out. The other scriptures are there. Remember, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Luke 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you. In good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. And I love this part. For whatever measure you use. Come on, somebody. Whatever measure you use. Some of you teaspoon blessers. Whatever measure you use, quarter teaspoon. Whatever measure you use, I got a millimeter I want to give to God today. Hey, nothing, listen, it, it's, it's fine. Whatever measure you use, you hearing me? Whatever measure you, if that's true, and listen, whatever measure I use for God, God's going to use that to measure it back to me. Makes you rethink the measuring that you've been using. If God is going to bless me based on the measurement I'm using for him, I got to get rid of the teaspoon mentality and start looking at the swimming pool mentality. Come on now. You know what I'm talking about? Start thinking that, man, you know what? If God's going to bless me and make sure you don't eat your seed, God gives you a blessing, you, you re-sow it. You just keep re-sowing and it keeps on returning 30, 60, 100 fold. See, I want you to check this out. Turn, turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter, we're going to close in a moment here, okay? But stay with me. Acts chapter, uh, start with Acts chapter 2. A couple things I want you to notice here, okay? You still with me this morning? Yes. All right. I think the first service tuned me out earlier, so stay with me. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Check this out. So, Continuing daily, everyone say daily, daily, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So these people in the early church got together daily, house to house, and they got together at the temple. Daily house to house and at the temple. Daily house to house and at the temple. I got to tell you, the men's home, you guys are psycho, man. You guys remind me of the early church. I just got a flyer from them this morning before we started service. They got something going on. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, and uh, nothing on Friday. What's wrong with you guys? Are you backsliding or what? <laughs> Friday's the only day they don't have something going on. Every day there is something that they're getting together with and so forth. Why? And I ask, why, why so many things? So because we want, to stay to get, we want to stay busy. We don't want to give the enemy opportunity to get us off, off track. We want to stay together. Check this out. It goes on and says this. So they went house to house and they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Verse 47, praising God. Someone praise God right now. Come on, give God praise. And having favor with all people. How do you have favor with all people? You know what? You have favor when you pay your bills. When you give your word and you take care of that word. 
You don't borrow from someone and you hold back that when you're helping people out, when you're being part of the answer rather than part of the problem. See, the church has become really good at pointing out the issues. We, we, we are awesome at pointing out issues. In fact, as Christians, we're really good at getting together with family members and judging them. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do this. Oh, why are you doing that? Are you, you're a Christian? You're doing... We're, we're great at that. We're phenomenal at pointing out the issues. When are we going to start offering solutions? Jesus is the answer for the world today. Andre Kraut saying, above him there's no other, for Jesus is the way. See, my friends, before we can do a thing, we have to. We have to. We have to be an influence in the community. He goes on and says, having favor with all people and the Lord added to the church daily. Somebody say daily again. Those who were being saved. Now, if they were being saved daily, does that mean that the pastor was making an altar call every day? They were getting together house to house, and you know what was happening? As we were gathering, having lumpia, all of a sudden, all your family and friends would be over. You would lead them to the Lord. As I'm hanging out with Pastor Matt, and he's showing me how to load his shotgun. He's getting into guns now. It's really, you know, we're getting into guns. And so, as we're hanging out there, and we got a common interest in guns... I just picked up a Smith & Wesson M&P 40. As we're hanging out and we're talking about something we enjoy, a common thread, we bring other friends in and we lead them to the Lord because of common interest. Are, are you following me? The church was growing daily. Why? Because they shared themselves with one another. And so notice what else happens as he goes on. In chapter 4, verse 34 of the book of Acts, he says this. There was no needy person among them. How many have a need right now? Financial need. Raise your hand. Look at that. The early church, there was no financial need among them. Wouldn't it be great if you had no financial need because we could meet that need? Instead of me coming to you and saying, hey, we're not going to meet the budget at the end of the year. Can we give an extra offering? Instead, we were so generous throughout the year that just like Moses, I had to tell you, hey, stop giving money. We have too much. Moses, while they were building the tabernacle, he gave all the resources, told the people to give. And this is what he said, those whose hearts moved them. To those that aren't moved, keep your money. You don't want to give, hold on to it. But those whose hearts move you, those who God moves your heart, those of you that want to give, give. And they gave from their heart so greatly that the, 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 the people that were building it came to Moses and said, hey Amen, tell the people to stop. We got too much money. We got too much materials here. We, we don't have, we, we, we got to, it's getting in the way now. We're stepping over money. We're stepping over gold. We're stepping over silver. We can't get through. All, we Just tell them to stop giving. You imagine standing before you next Sunday and saying, we're not collecting offering this week. We have too much. 
the bank won't take any more of our money. All our missionaries, are, their needs are met. You understand that we, we, we support about 20 different missionaries throughout the United States. Not through, I'm sorry, throughout the world. Different ministries that we support. Imagine me coming and saying, hey, we got, we're not going to collect an offering anymore because, listen, all the people that were behind on their mortgage are caught up. People that didn't have a house have a place now. Person whose car was broken down, we got it fixed. I never believed the government should be responsible for taking care of our people to begin with. But it starts with generosity. Listen, how do we practice generosity? Three things. The early church shared their time, their talent, and their treasure. Their time, their talent, and their treasure. See, time is one of the most valuable commodities that we have. Every one of us doesn't have the same amount of money, but we all have the same amount of time. Time is the great equalizer given to us all. We have the same amount of time in a day. What we do with it is on you. And listen, we talk about time. You're not in a position to give more to God financially. You can give more time to God. You could find yourself... How about this? How about getting to church on time? CWC, you drive me crazy. No, you, you ain't hearing me. You drive me, cra- you drive me batty sometimes. Our love for God should get us here on time. Our, our value for God should get us here on time. Our love for God should get us here on time. If you showed up to church or to work the time that you showed up to church, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes late all the time, you'd get fired. And yet you have more value for Caesar than you do for God. You know, why is this so important? Listen, why is this so important? Because worship is not preliminary. It's not just wasting time until you get here. Worship creates an atmosphere of change. It creates an atmosphere where you walk in and you worship. And once you experience worship, now by the time the word comes, the soil's already prepared. But if you come in late and you don't even get into worship, I'm having to fight through that spirit and that environment around you in your life before we're able to even make any effect. That's why the Spirit of God can move greatly one week, expect carryover the next week, and we come in and it's like God had never even been here before. Because we don't give God time. Time during the week to be in his presence. Time during the week to read his word. Time during the week to pray. If this is all you're getting, you're in trouble. You're getting good food here on Sunday mornings. But listen, I, I, when people say, I, I'm leaving a church because you're not being fed, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard someone say. 
My job is not to feed you. My job is to lead you. It's up to you to eat. Now, when my kids were babies, I, I, I fed them. I even made certain sounds to get them to open up their mouths. And for those of you that are new in Christ, that's why I do what I do. When I joke around and I do certain things, I'm trying to get you to open your mouth. I'm making the little airplane. I joke around, I mess around because what I'm trying to do is get a new person to... trying to feed you. But when you've been in Christ for 20 years, I, my daughter is 21 years old. When she's hungry, I don't stand in front of her. You ready, babe? I don't do that to her anymore. Why? She's 21 years old. She better learn how to feed herself. She calls us up and says, I'm hungry. Open up the refrigerator. There's nothing to eat. Cereal. Because at a certain age, you're responsible to feed yourself. Every one of us has time. We all have talent. I look around this room, every one of you. Don't, this isn't for someone behind you or next to you. This is for you. Every one of you in here has a talent that needs to be used for the kingdom. Every one of you in here is here at this church because there is a talent you have that we need, that this body needs. Whether you've been visiting or whether you're just looking in or whether you've been here a long time, there is something you have that we need. And your gift needs to be used. Your talent needs to be released. Well, pastor, I can't sing. I can't, I can't play an instrument. That's all right. Can you smile? Now, I know some of y'all can't. I've seen you. Hey, God bless you. But if you could smile and you could say, welcome to Christian Worship Center. We have a job for you. If you're a tough guy, we have a job for you. What am I talking about? We need security. Hey, in this day and age, the way things go, people coming in and shooting up places, we need our security. We need someone watching my back. We need people that are going to keep this house safe. So we need you guys that are barely saved. You know what I'm talking about. You know, if I backslide, I lied, or I ate too much chocolate cake or something like that. You backslide, you shot someone or something. We need those barely saved people in the church. Everyone has skills, gifts, abilities, talents. As we close, we've got to use our treasure. Treasure has to do with our money and our resources. And let, let, me, let me share this. As a pastor, the thing I always hear from people when it comes to tithing is this. Speaking about generosity. Well, pastor, that's an Old Testament concept. It's an Old Testament idea. It's not, not something that we see in the New Testament, really. When Jesus dealt with the Pharisees and he rebuked them, and he told them, dude, you guys tithe off the mint and the cumin. 
You guys are tithing not off money. You guys are tithing off of spices. That's how deep you guys are in your religion. You guys get a cup of sugar and you're giving a tablespoon to the Lord. That's how much you guys are in this. And Jesus says this. You know what? You got to practice justice and mercy without leaving those other things undone. Do those things, but those things mean nothing if you're not taking care of this. Then he said, I want you to recognize, does, Old Te- does New Testament grace lower or raise the standard in the New Testament? Does it lower or raise? Some of you aren't sure yet. You're looking at me. You think it lowers because grace, I could do all things. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. So I could sin and there's grace there. You're, you're wondering. Let me tell you something. Look what Jesus said. In the Old Testament, he says this, don't murder. You have heard it said of men of old, don't murder. Where'd they hear it? From Jesus. He's the one that made the law. He's God. He says, but I say unto you, don't even hate your brother. Murder? What's up with that fool? Same thing. Same thing. Old Testament, New Testament standard. I say unto you, you've heard it said of men of old, do not commit adultery. Standard. But I say unto you, fool, don't even look at a woman with lust in your heart. Dang, girl, looking good. I was looking at the chair, so don't anyone judge me right now, okay? I know some of y'all, Pastor, we're checking out that woman. The act, the thought. The act, the thought. Totally different. Old Testament, don't take the Lord's name in vain. But I say unto you, don't even swear. You know you cursing Christians, swearing saints. <laughs> dropping F-bombs like crazy, S this and, you know, F that and all this stuff on Facebook. You're dropping, hey, cussing on Facebook is the same thing as saying it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, wash your mouth out with soap. I just want to stick. See, if God is in you, if God is in me, would Jesus use that language? And if he's dwelling in me, are you following me? Jesus raises the standard. And when it comes to money, in the Old Testament, it was tithing. 10%. We've taken that as, okay, i got to reach that point of 10%. If you're trying to get to 10%, then what you are is an Old Testament believer and that you got to connect with the whole law as well. But if you are under grace in the New Testament, then you recognize that that 10% is not my ceiling. It's my stepping stool. It's the starting point. That's where I started off. We wonder why we're in bondage. Cracks me up when people give tithing based to the very penny. 
You can't round up. Can't round up. You afraid that extra six cents was going to offend the Lord? $133.21. Can't give $124? Malachi 3.10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me. Everyone say test. Only in finances did God say test me. Everywhere else he says, don't test the Lord. Only in finances he says, test me. Watch. Prove me. Test me in this, the Lord Almighty. That word Almighty is El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. More than enough. And see if I will not throw up when the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you don't have room enough. Now, see, it's not only just tithing. If you're not giving, that's the starting point right there. We just got to get to 10%. That's the, that's the bottom line. That's the footstool. That's no longer the stand. I'm trying to reach it. Well, I gave 9.9. No, we got to recognize we got to get to the standard. Grace raises a standard. But by offerings as well. It has to have a culture of generosity. It's not just how much do I have to do to, to get in. It's going above and beyond offerings. He says, give to the Lord and glory do his name and bring an offering and come into his courts. So every time we come, we should have an offering, something that we're giving unto God. And that offering goes to LOL. That offering goes to the children's ministries. It goes to, to the youth ministries. It goes to master's commission. It goes to a specific thing. It might be the building fund. But it's something that I'm bringing above and beyond and saying, God, I know that this is not required. But I'm giving you something above and beyond who I am. And then lastly, giving to those that are in need. Do not neglect to do good, but share what you have. For such sacrifices, check this out, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You guys go out to bless a block? That's a sacrifice. That's an Old Testament animal killing the animal, offering it up on the altar to God. See, no one else sees it. No one sees that on Sunday mornings. They don't have a clue the time that you guys put in reaching people on the streets, going down, mowing, touching people's lives. They don't see what you're doing. They have no clue what's going on there. Yet you go out to adopt a block and you start blessing people and it becomes a sweet aroma under the presence of God. When you drive by that homeless person or that person that has a sign that says, why lie? I want beer. You've seen them. And the religious side of us comes out. Oh, no, I would never give money to them. Because then I'm just enforcing their drinking habit. Oh, no, not me. You're just a cheapskate. In Spanish, that's what they... I don't speak Spanish, but they would just do that. Why? Because you go like that, you see how loose your skin is on your elbow? But then when you go like that, you can't grab no skin. You're tight. So when people go like that, they say, they, they're, they're just saying, man, that person's tight. I'm not saying give them money to drink. 
But I'm saying be the solution to the problem. Be the solution to the problem. Give an offering by getting them something to eat. Be given offering by talking to them and seeing if can I get you into a program? Can I help you out in this issue? Some people want no help, but I need you to understand Christian Worship Center must be a place of generosity. We must be known for our generosity. We got to be known for our heart, the ability to meet needs. That when someone that's addicted knows, hey, you want to get free of addiction, go to that church over there because there's something about them. They'll help you. Go to that church because they'll pray for you when you're sick. Got a prayer team that will just, just pray the cancer right out of you. It's generosity. Time, talent, treasure. The problem is this. When the rich man came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? Jesus says, obey the commandments. He goes, I've done that. I'm good. He goes, now sell what you have and give it to the poor. Generosity. Sell what you have, give it to the poor. And the man went away sad. It's a disappointing thing to have an encounter with God and walk away sad. This guy came face to face with heaven and he walked away sad. That's disappointing. Face to face with heaven. Miles Monroe says, well, you met God before anything was created on the corner of nothing and nowhere, you would have met everything. Because God in him had everything. And this man is standing before everything. And God, Jesus is just saying, give me something. And he walks away sad. You know when we're sad? It was sad when we, don't, when we can't measure up or we can't do what God asks us to do. When we refuse to. Not realizing that if I give it to him, I get everything. He walked away sad. Because the Bible says he had very great possessions. I heard someone say one time, that's a wrong translation. It should say that many possessions had him. True poverty is not lack. Poverty is fear of being without. So you could be rich and still be in poverty because you're afraid you're going to lose what you have. Folks, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm glad to hear that, brother. I'm a blessed man. You know, we're not rich, but we're blessed. I got a great roof over my head. We drive a decent car. Not great, but we've made sacrifices. Instead of going out and getting another car, we're driving the one we paid off six years ago. Still driving it. It works. It looks good. Someone offered to buy it yesterday. Two days ago. Because we take care of it. 
But how did we get here? Generosity. We don't give 10%, we give 15. We're working on trying to get to 20. Why? Because I know something my dad taught me from a child. You can't outgive God, Neil. You can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. So what am I saying? Generosity. With your time, with your talent, and with your treasure. Bow your heads with me this morning. Thank you for downloading this message. For more information on our church, visit us at www.cwcsj.org.